We are in the book of Ephesians. We've been in a series looking through the book of Ephesians, and I, we've called it Practicing Resurrection. And there have been three words that we have come back to over the past few weeks, sit, walk, and stand. We're called to sit with Christ. We are called to walk in the way of Christ, and we are called to stand as Christ stood against the powers. Now, someone mentioned to me the first two services, I've been really energized to preach today, and then she said, is it because it's the Puerto Rican Day Parade? And so um, the answer is yes. Uh, So uh, there's a special uh, anointing released today on the Puerto Rican Day Parade. And after the second, the first and second service, someone came up to, a couple of people came up to me and said, Pastor Rich, you know, sometimes I just want to say amen or, or, or talk back. Is that okay? And I said, oh, I, is, is that okay? I need you to say amen, all right? And so now we, now we talk. I see, Mabel, I see you, Mabel, on the side there. And so um, uh, we're going to talk about standing against the powers today, standing against the powers. And just a quick thing, for those of you that might not be aware of this, uh, before we purchased the building in 2003, uh, there used to be wrestling matches in this building here, in this sanctuary here. And that's our church. That's our sanctuary right here. Body slams and suplex and all that there happening. And, um, and so this used to happen on Saturday night, just wrestling. And so it doesn't happen Saturday night anymore, but we're called to another kind of wrestling on Sunday morning. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, pushing back the powers. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse number 10, hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I'm going to give a little exposition on this passage, but beyond that, I want to give a kind of theological overview of spiritual warfare. And so let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to open our eyes as we look to God through his word. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the one who rules and reigns in power and authority. And Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would now open our eyes so that we could see what you want us to see, open our ears so that we may hear what you want us to hear, open our hearts so that we would receive every good gift that you have for us today. And Lord, I pray in the words of many of my African-American brothers and sisters, Lord, at the end of the day, may you be glorified. May the church be edified. And may the devil be terrified. (laughs) We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. One of my favorite books is written by the great C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called uh, Screwtape Letters. It's about a senior devil instructing a junior devil in the art of temptation. And so the senior devil named Screwtape writes letters to his nephew, a guy named Wormwood, talking about all the specific schemes and tactics of how these demons and devils can lead Christians into sin. 
And at the beginning of the book, Lewis gives a kind of introduction, and he explains the two errors that people have about demons, that people have about devils, that people have about spiritual warfare. He says this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which humans can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They, the devils themselves, are equally pleased by both errors. Now, in this room, there are people all over the spectrum on the issue of demons and devils and spiritual warfare. For some of us, when we hear about demons and devils and spiritual warfare, we chalk that up to kind of an unenlightened mind. And other of us, other of us, I believe, but we have an unhealthy preoccupation with them. I've heard more Christians sometimes talk more about Satan than they do about Jesus. And you know your spiritual life is in trouble when you're talking more about Satan than you're talking about Jesus. But time and time again in Scripture, we see that there is an enemy of our souls, that there is an enemy that is against all that is of God. And it's important to say at the onset, as Pete mentioned last week, that the evil one in Scripture is not an equal with God. Yet the evil one is a presence to be taken very seriously. And so Paul in Ephesians 6 gives language to the kind of spiritual power that is comprehensive and that is pervasive in our world. And while I'm not going to go into great detail about the passage, a few things need to be mentioned. When Paul speaks about principalities and powers, he has in mind the demonic powers of our world. And when he uses this language, he's talking about the comprehensive and pervasive nature of these powers. And so when Paul talks about it in biblical worldview, powers and principalities, he's talking about those realities that are visible and invisible, those realities that are heavenly and earthly, those realities that are spiritual and institutional. And when Paul writes about the power and principalities, he's not just referring to disembodied demonic powers, but also the way that demonic powers are embodied in the structures of human existence. And so when you look at the horror in the world, whether it's child abuse or whether it's genocide, whether it's racist ideology or whether it's terrorism, whether it's addictions or whether it is exploitive capitalism, the powers and principalities are pervasive. And so powers and principalities can be governments, they can be corporations, they can be churches, they can be denominations, they can be educational institutions, they can be police departments, they can be cities, they can be nations. And when we talk about powers, it doesn't mean that all the powers are bad per se, but when Paul talks about the powers in Ephesians 6, he's talking about the fallen powers in our world. And the demonic powers of our world have two goals in mind, and I'll explain it this way. The fallen powers of the world exist to cut us off from Jesus and each other, that is isolation, or form us in such a way that we revert to cutting others. And so whether it is isolation or violence, the powers of our world have two goals in mind, to cut us off from each other and Jesus, or to have us cut each other, often in the name of Jesus. And so there's isolation and there's violence. And so whether we're talking about demonic powers in an individual or demonic powers that's in an institution, Paul is clear. He knows the nature of the struggle. And so in verse 10, Paul says these words, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
The powers of the world are just too strong for us to overcome by human strength. And so whether you're talking about a personal struggle or whether you're talking about a societal struggle, the powers are too strong to be overcome by human strength. This is the problem that many people who are passionate for justice have, for all the good that people want to do. They think if we can just organize enough, if we can just tweet enough, if we can just protest enough, this will change the destructive ways of our culture. And all of that is needed and important work, but you cannot truly address an issue until you understand the source of the issue. And the source of the issue is spiritual in nature. Therefore, the solution must be spiritual in nature as well. In other words, you cannot fight a spiritual battle with fleshly tactics. And so I want to spend the rest of our time talking about what is the nature of this battle and how do we live out in this world. And Paul is trying to let us know something very important. Namely, there is an evil one who has schemes and tricks to deceive us. The evil one and the powers of evil are at work in the world with schemes, with plans, with strategies. And the biggest scheme that the evil one has is this. The biggest scheme of the evil one is having us believe that our battle is against flesh and blood. This is the biggest trick of the evil one, to have us believe that our battle is against flesh and blood. Or said it this way, the biggest scheme of the evil one is to convince us that the root problem is not with the evil one. And this is what Paul is trying to get us to see. We often want to put our finger on the source of the issue. We want to identify who's responsible for this. It's a particular person. It's a particular, particular political party. It's a particular religion. It's a particular thing. And we want to name that it's easier that way it's spiritually lazy however and so paul is trying to help the church with discernment to to identify where is the true nature of the problem because we often fight the wrong enemy this is what Greg Boyd, the great theologian and pastor, uh, said. He said, one of the main reasons we're so quick to engage in human warfare is because we're so slow in engaging in spiritual warfare. Instead of pillaging the enemy's house and taking it back for God, we pillage each other. But our fight is ultimately not against flesh and blood. There's no one who understood this more than Jesus. No one understood this more than Jesus. Jesus was able to see what people could not see with their naked eye. He was able to see powers and principalities at work before him. And there's one illustration in Mark 8 that gets to the core of this. In Mark 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he asks them a question. He says, who do people say that I am? And Peter, the first, Peter's always the first one. He says, ooh, ooh, I know the answer. Ooh, call on me. Ooh. And Jesus said, Peter. And he says, yeah, you are the Messiah son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's, that's correct. And another gospel, he says, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father revealed this to you. And so at that moment, Peter's feeling pretty good about himself. Like, yeah, that's right. I, I, that's right. God revealed it to me. I, I know who he is. And he, Peter's very excited about it. Jesus, after Peter's confession, goes on to say that the Messiah must die and the Messiah must suffer. And the Messiah must be taken by the authorities, but he's going to be raised from the dead. And Peter hears this. He just called him the Messiah. And Peter says, Jesus, can we talk? And he pulls him to the side. 
And Peter brings him to the corner, and Peter, the Bible says, begins to rebuke Jesus. Now, you know you're not having a good spiritual day with when you're starting to rebuke Jesus. And he starts telling Jesus, this is not right. And Jesus, he looks at Peter, and Jesus doesn't say, you know what, Peter, you haven't eaten anything? You need to get you some food. You're, 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 you're hangry right now. You're a little... You're hungry and you're angry. You know, let me get you some bread and some fish. No, no. Jesus doesn't say, no, Peter, let's just, let's just pray for a moment. Let's just, you know. No. This is what Jesus says. Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus rebukes Peter. And he takes him another level. He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Now, Jesus understood at that moment that Peter's words were being shaped by a power, by a particular worldview, by a particular ideology that had no space for a suffering Messiah. And so Jesus saw right, he says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus was able to see that the true battle is not against flesh and blood, but the true battle is against powers of the world and principalities in our world. And so the reality is this, we are caught brothers and sisters in a crossfire. We're caught in a crossfire. And if we're not aware of this passage, we will do, do, do great damage to ourselves and to those around us. And so this verse, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, needs to become our memory verse for the week. Because we need to remember constantly where the true battle lies. And need to do it on two levels, on a personal level and on a societal level. It might be helpful to remember this on a personal level. Whenever there's conflict with a brother or sister in Christ, a conflict with the person maybe you're in close relationship with, it might be helpful to acknowledge that the person isn't the enemy. And maybe we begin a conversation, a hard conversation, by first identifying, hey, can we agree at this moment that you're not the enemy and that I'm not the enemy? And can we seek to resolve this issue in a way that the powers of darkness don't win? What if we began hard conversations that way? You're not the, let's just establish this right now. You're not the enemy, and I'm not the enemy. Yes, we have some issues to resolve, but there's a larger spiritual reality at work here that's seeking to divide us. Can we just agree that you are not the enemy? Now, it doesn't mean that we don't feel pain. It doesn't mean we don't get emotional. Paul earlier says, be angry, but don't sin. And so we're not emotional robots, and we're not suppressing the realities, but we are aware because we have discernment now. That there are powers and principalities at work in the world. And so on one level, we have to uh, see that there's uh, the powers at work in our personal lives. But we also have to see the reality that there are powers at work on a societal life as well, a societal level. There are powers that are active in our world, in our city, in our country. And if we don't name them they will continue to flourish. Their power's in the squirrel. And often when we think about the power of the demonic, we think, oh, it's, it's at those places where uh, there's low education and at those places where there's strange religious beliefs and it's at those third world places where there's a lot of poverty. That's where the demonic is. But demonic powers thrive most under the radar in ways that are not obvious to the naked eye. In this respect, our country probably has more demonic activity taking place 
than we could ever imagine. Because the evil powers of the world thrive under concealment. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. The demonic is often hidden in plain sight in structures, institutions, and ideologies that divide, deceive, marginalize, and oppress people. And it's important to name them because when we name them, we begin to expose the lies of the evil one for the purpose of establishing greater shalom in the world. Now, remember, these demonic powers are often not just disembodied spirits, but they also attach themselves to people and to systems and to institutions. And let me address some of the ways that I think we see this at work in our country. When I think about the powers and principalities, I can't help but think about demonic powers behind racism. That our country, for all the good that we have done over the years, was founded on a particular myth of racial superiority. And one of the outcomes of sin, generally speaking, is the need to exert power over another person. And when this country was founded, the original sin of this country was one of racial superiority. And so you can understand the history of our country and the current situation we find ourselves in without addressing the evil power of racism that's deeply embedded into the very fabric of our country and institutions. Institutional racism is a destructive way of ordering life so that advantage is given to some and disadvantage is given to others. And it's all the outworking of a theology and ideology that is fueled by, uh, by demonic powers. And so we're talking about whether we're talking about the disproportionate amount of African Americans that find themselves in prison or the hate crimes against people of color and Muslims. You can't understand the depth of an issue until you first see that there are powers at work to divide us. Ever wonder why it's so hard to have a hot conversation with someone about race? That five minutes into the conversation, you're throwing daggers at each other? There are powers at work. There are principalities at work that seek to divide us, that seek to deceive us, that seek to oppress, that seek to marginalize. I cannot help but think about the nature of racism and the powers that are behind it. I also can't help to think about the powers and principalities that are behind a wrongly ordered sexuality. This past week, Rick and Gigi Harner for our New Life staff in the Philippines were here with us. And at our staff meeting day, they shared a presentation of some of the deep spiritual problems they're facing in the Philippines. And Rick mentioned on a global scale something that had us just taken aback. He said that in a given time, there are 750,000 people online looking to sexually exploit children. When you look at the sex trafficking that's taking place down the block from us on Queens Boulevard, when you see the way that porn industry has destroyed men and women and children and families. When you examine the deeply confusing and overwhelming rapid changes regarding sexuality and gender and orientation, there has to be something at work in our world. When you look at the flippant way that sex and sexuality is approached, you cannot help to think there are active powers and principalities in the world. Let me give an example. I read an article recently about the social networking site Tinder. And Tinder is what many call a one-stop shop for young people who are looking to date or hook up. That is, have sexual relations with someone you barely know. And I read an important article entitled, Tinder, the End of Intimacy and the Age of Addiction. And these words I found to be profound and revelatory. 
This person wrote, between being overstimulated by porn and unable to perform due to anxiety, young men are now sexually crippled by their pursuit of more and more intense instant sexual gratification. The fact that young people spend so much time interacting online has made it terrifying for some to interact face-to-face, especially when there's anything important at stake. Women aren't faring any better these days. The Tinder culture is turning women into commodities even more than any misogynistic society ever did. Women on Tinder are objects to consume, and young men are ordering them up for sex as easily as they order their dinner online. People say that Tinder is addictive, and I can see why. It provides no joy, no closeness, no meaning. It's superficially stimulating and gives a false promise of fulfillment, just enough to compel the user to repeat the activity over and over again in the hopes that eventually they'll find what they are looking for. When you examine the wrongly ordered sexuality in our world. You can't help to conclude that there are powers and forces at work. I don't just think about racism. I don't just think about wrongly ordered sexuality. I think about the powers and principalities that are behind the political environment in our country. And there might be no stronger demonic power at work than those powers connected to politics. Now, as I mentioned, the evil one's task is twofold. The evil one's task is to cut us off from Jesus and each other, that is isolation, or form us in such a way that we revert to cutting others, that is violence. And when it comes to politics, this is our reality, more so in the last couple of years. And what's most concerning is the hostility that we see is often found within the church. We have cut ourselves off from each other, or we have cut each other. Friends and families have been severed. We walk around angry all the time. We are deeply suspicious of anyone who doesn't vote like we do. In short, we are being played by the powers. When Christians identify as Democrats or Republicans before we identify as Christians, we are being played by the powers. When Christians view other Christians from different political parties as the enemy, we are being played by the powers. When Christians believe that the only way to peace is to get rid of those people and how they believe, we are being played by the powers. And so the question is, how do we overcome the powers? How do we defeat the powers? How do we engage the powers that seek to exploit and divide and deceive and marginalize? What shall we say to these things? And if I could borrow a word from the Apostle Paul, what shall we say to these things? Well, what I'll say is if God be for us, who can be against us? When you look at the Bible, you begin to see that the core issue is not whether we defeat the powers. That has already been settled. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, that settled the reality. And the gospel is the good news that God was at work in Christ to overcome the powers. And all throughout Jesus' life, he was overcoming the powers, and you never see him do it in destructive ways. Every time Jesus healed someone, he was revolting against the powers. 
Every time he casted out a demon, he was revolting against the powers. Every time he welcomed a sinner, he was coming against the powers that marginalized. Every time he entered into solidarity with the poor, he was coming against the powers of greed. Every time he loved an outsider, he was revolting against the powers of religiosity. And when Jesus dies on a cross, he just doesn't die to forgive us of our sins. He just doesn't die to make us right with God. He dies so that he would destroy the work of the evil one and the powers. This is why Colossians 2 says these words, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Our job essentially is to put into practice that which is already a reality in the heavenlies, that he is alive and he has exposed the powers and triumphed over the powers. Jesus has already done the hard work and with our words and with our deeds, we make manifest that which is already a reality in the kingdom of God. And so how do we wrestle against the powers? We begin by recognizing what Christ has done. And it is out of that place that Paul says, now this is how you are to engage the powers of the world. How do we engage the powers? In your personal life, opposition coming against you, addictions coming against you, at your workplace, at your school, in our country. How do we engage the powers? Let me give you three words. The first is remain in him. Remain. Remain. Let me hear you say remain. Paul says be strong in the Lord. In the Lord. That's language of union. Language of oneness. In the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul knows the degree to which we remain in the Lord is the degree to which we will have power to push back the evil one. That we cannot push back evil while not being in the Lord, while not remaining in the Lord. And so every time we practice spiritual disciplines, we're remaining in him. Every time we step aside from our busy work schedule to sit down and pray for a moment, we are pushing back the powers. Every time we we seek silence in a world of distraction, we are pushing back the powers. Every time we keep Sabbath and we stop to rest and delight and contemplate, we're pushing back the powers. Every time we open up scripture to hear the voice of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're remaining in him and we are pushing back the powers. We are called to remain in him. And it is out of remaining in him that we can then resist the powers. You can't resist if you don't remain. And we're called to remain in Christ so that we can resist the powers. And when Paul uh, talks about the armor of God, he's essentially saying there is a way of living our lives that is complicit with the powers. That we don't resist the powers. And the powers, demonic powers of our world, seek to cut us off from God, cut us off from each other. And the demonic powers seek to have us live a particular way that essentially mirrors the powers. And so we can't fight God's way with Satan's weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Our weapons are different. And when we exercise our weapons, we can adequately resist the powers. Isn't this what made the civil rights movement so powerful? That while men and women were being hosed down and while dogs were being sicked on them, that somehow they refused to succumb to the ways of the powers. 
And somehow a mighty work of God began through that movement. It's so easy to want to live in the way of the powers. And I'm tempted to do this almost every day. I'm tempted to live in the ways of the powers. I'm tempted every time I go on social media to live in the ways of the powers. You hear some crazy news that came out. And I just sense the power saying, say something about it. And I'll tell you what I'm going to say about it. And if I don't remain in him before I say what I'm going to say, I look just like the powers. I have this, this time hop app that shows you what you said last year, this day, and then two years ago, and then three years ago. This is what you said. And I was looking at stuff I was saying three or four years ago. And I was like, dear Jesus, I can't believe I was saying that stuff. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> and look at that. And I just, every time, I just, I let the, the power, I wasn't even aware of it. The power is sucking me in. And it's not that you don't speak truth. It's not that you don't address the wrong. The issue is when we begin to address the wrong, are we using the weapons of Satan and gossip and condescension and judgment and accusing? These are the weapons of Satan. And so often it's very easy for me to be pulled into the powers instead of resisting the powers. And so Paul says we are to remain in him. There's another armor. We're going to talk about that next week. There's another way of approaching life that helps us resist the powers. And so we are to remain. We are to remember. Resist. This is what Walter Wink says. Walter Wink says evil can be opposed without being mirrored. Oppressors can be resisted without being emulated. Enemies can be neutralized without being destroyed. We are called to resist. So it's not just remaining. It's not just resisting. Ultimately, how do we engage the powers? Well, we remember what Christ has done. We remember what Christ has done. When we think about the powers in our world, we must consistently come back to what Jesus has done on the cross and in his resurrection. Because it reminds us, first of all, that transformation comes not through human strength, but by God's strength. It fuels us with hope as well when we remember what Christ has done when the powers seem overwhelming. Because the reality is the powers feel overwhelming at times. It seems like the powers are going to have the last word. Sometimes it feels like the powers are just going to dominate and overwhelm our lives. And that's the reality that we face. That the world has not been fully renewed yet. Something has been started in Christ in his death and in his resurrection, but we do not see the fullness of it yet. And as a result, we face a very real battle. And some of you face this battle at home, powers coming against you. Some of you face this battle at work, powers coming against you. Some of you face battles in your marriage, powers coming against you. Some of you feel this, this battle coming against you in your personal life, powers coming against you. And every time you are tempted to give up, remember what Christ has done. Because the evil one may be strong, but God is stronger. The evil one may be active, but God is more active. The evil one may have some power, but God is the all-powerful one. We are to remember what Christ has done. 
And as we remember what Christ has done, our imaginations begin to get infused with something of the power of God and something of the kingdom of God because there is a life that is available to us that can push back the powers of darkness. Now, I want to leave you with this thought here. And I was thinking about this powers and principalities, and my mind went to John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, Jesus starts talking about Satan and talking about the evil one. And Jesus says these words. He says, the thief came to kill, to steal, and destroy. And as I was meditating on that passage recently, there was a word that resonated and jumped out at me. And the word that resonated, probably the most important word of that, is the word came. He came. And as I've been reflecting on it, he came. Why is the word came most important there? Well, let me say it this way. Just because he came to do it doesn't mean he can do it. Just because he came to kill, just because he came to steal, just because he came to destroy, doesn't mean he can do it. And when Jesus talks about the evil one, right after he says, this is what he came to do, Jesus begins to say what he came to do. And Jesus says, the enemy came to kill, to steal, to destroy. But I came that you may have life. I came that you may have, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. I know that's why he came. But let me tell you why I came. I came that you may have life. He came to steal. He came to destroy. He came to kill. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Can you praise God with me right now? He came. He came. He came that he may have life and have it to the full. Let's pray together. Let's let's pray right now. Worship team, come forward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you came so that we would have life to push back darkness. You came, Lord, so that we would have a kind of abundant life that is not subjected to the powers and principalities of this world. You came to release us from the stronghold of the enemy. And so, Lord Jesus, we celebrate that you came and that you sent your Holy Spirit and you're with us. And Lord, I pray for everyone in here that the evil one has been coming against. homes, in our relationships, in our bodies, in our ways of thinking, in our self-hatred. Lord Jesus, would your good news that you are alive dispel the bad news of darkness. And may we experience that in our own lives together. You have come that we would have life and have it to the full. And may we experience that life and push back darkness wherever we go. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said.
Let's all stand. Let's sing together. Yes, Lord. Ah, uh, do you believe that today? There's no rival, no equal, no name above his name. And he's given us his spirit to push back the powers. Amen. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left. We have the Lord's table to my right. Jesus Christ has broken the power of the evil one. So we can live in freedom and grace and mercy. Some of you today, you came in here and the powers of darkness have been filling you with condemnation and shame. And in the name of Jesus, that can be broken. That you're not good enough. That the name of Jesus, all that is broken. Filling you with condemnation and self-hatred. Power of Jesus can break anything off of you. And this is why we close with our prayer team here, because we believe that there is a unique release of God's power when we pray for one another. That we need each other if we're going to push back darkness. We can't do it alone. We need each other. And so, if you came in here today and you feel the evil one has has had um, some activity in your life. It's one thing for us to go through some hard times, and we love to chalk everything up to Satan, you know. I lost my job because of Satan. Well, you woke up late too, okay? And so uh, we want to chalk everything up to him. But some of you have faced, you know, unique situations in which the power of the evil one has been coming against you. And in Jesus' name, those powers can be pushed back. In your marriage, in your health, your relationships, we believe that God can push back the power. So we have our prayer team here. Maybe you've been living despair, filled with fear and anxiety, powers coming against you. We want to push back those powers in Jesus' name. And so our prayer team is here for whatever need you have, however we can pray for you. And to my right, we have the Lord's table. And every time, every time we come to the Lord's table, we're not just taking bread and dipping into the cup some perfunctory kind of activity. Whether you know it or not, you're pushing back the powers. What we're saying is, Lord, I want to embody your life in such a way where this bread and this cup becomes the way that I live, broken and poured out for the world. Love and grace becoming the expression of my life. So I take bread and I dip it in the cup as my sign of saying, Lord, would you consume me as I consume this bread. We're pushing back the powers. And so whether you come to the table or whether you come to receive prayer, the power of Jesus is here to set us free so that we would push back the powers. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We close every gathering like this because the world is filled with so much cursing and evil words spoken over us. And we leave this place knowing that the love of God, the favor of God, the, the grace of Jesus is over you. Whether your boss acknowledges it or not, whether your friends acknowledge it or not, the love of God, the grace of Jesus is for you. 
And if you've never said yes to Jesus, our prayer team is right here for you. So begin to push back darkness in your life. And so come forward as we close our service. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he shine his face upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, remaining in Christ, resisting the powers and remembering what Jesus has done. And whenever the evil one would push back at you this week, would you push back in the name of Jesus? And may you live in a way that's in accordance to the calling that God has given you. That you are seated with him that we are to walk in the way of Christ and stand against the powers in the name of Jesus. And so I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful and the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to everyone.